to Faith in the Fast Life, brought to you by Fast Life Ministries. The podcast that dives deep into the stories of God's redemption. 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 This week, the owner's manual for the good life. And the Bible is kind of like your owner's manual on your bike. Chris Fagala on Faith in the Fast Life. Give our podcast a follow and check us out on Instagram and Facebook. You can also find us at fastlifeministries.com if you want to partner with us. Now let's get into the episode. Yes, so here we are, Monster Energy Supercross. This is the second podcast that we're pulling out of this, and we have uh, Chris Fagala with us today. We'd like to welcome you. Chris is with Next Level Racing, which is an amazing little ministry of its own that is basically helping a lot of these privateers get their bikes from one stop to the next. Um, he's also involved with a group called Lit Ministries, and uh, the Panic Grab guys are kind of run alongside of you guys as well. So. Super cool, Chris. We are just honored to have you here today, man. Obviously, nothing scripted, as all the listeners know. Um, we just want to hear your story. So, so man, let's just jump into it. Like, tell us about Chris. How did how did Jesus get a hold of you? Oh man. Uh, so I grew up in a home of faith. Uh, parents were believers, and we were in church. And about I think I was maybe six or seven years old, and um, you know, I was sitting in one of those Sunday school classes where they're doing the stuff on the felt board and. And they present that to you. Uh, would you like to be in, in heaven with Jesus for the rest of your life or in hell burning in fire with the devil? I was like, uh, I'm taking Jesus for sure. And so, you know, I s- said that prayer, the believer's prayer or whatever, which is actually you won't find it in the Bible. Um, but but I said a prayer, asked Jesus into my heart. And, and from that point forward, I would have never denied God. I would have never de- denied him as the creator. I would have never denied Jesus or what Jesus did for us, but I definitely didn't live it out. And so I had all the knowledge and I had the, um, the information, but I didn't have the belief part, which is putting all that into action. Uh, I went through the motions and, and did religion probably most of my life until I was in my early thirties. And then, uh, I, I went through, unfortunately, a divorce that I didn't want and couldn't stop. It wasn't my choice. And that's what God used to really just lay me down on the ground face first with nothing left and me go, God, I don't know you and I need you. I can't do this on my own anymore. I want you and I need you. And, and I, I would say that point is when, when religion started to go away and relationships started to take its place. Yeah. So I love that you said that because that's exactly what was going through my head is you say that, you know, you, you, at a young age, you learned it, but you weren't really living it out. You knew the, quote unquote rules of it that you knew the religion of it so tell me a little bit so where did you grow up i grew up in houston texas okay and so your family come from you know a good home parents still together still walking with the lord all those things yeah yeah okay so as you you come up through that you're you you know the rules did you always continue to do church through those young age i did i never um maybe my entire life there was probably a year maybe a year period when i went off to college where I wasn't involved in a local church, maybe a year or two, you know, in that it's probably 19 to 20 or 21. So for the most part, the religion's ingrained into you. Yeah, it was ingrained into me. And I, and I believe I had the Holy Spirit because I had conviction. I just didn't act on that conviction. So, you know, I was in church on Sundays. Um, I tried to come up, uh, I, you know, I started racing as a kid and tried to, 
to come up racing my entire life. My parents weren't into it at all. Uh, so I had to kind of sneak off and race. Um, my parents wouldn't let me race on Sunday because we were supposed to be in church on Sunday. You know, if I found a Saturday night service to go to and then go to race on Sunday, they kind of made me feel bad for it. So they were really into the religion also. And, and what I dealt with is a lot of guilt and shame. I lived in a ton of guilt and shame for years until I figured out, wow, it's not, I mean, yes, I need to be part of a local body. Yes, I need to have uh, mentors in my life and, and people holding me accountable spiritually and, and walking with me. But whether I raced on Sunday and went to church on Saturday, God doesn't care about that. Uh, it, that's religion. You have to be in church on Sunday, and so you can't do anything on Sunday. And that doesn't work, and it doesn't work here at Supercross with these guys. They can't go to church on Sunday. Can't go to church on Saturday night. So we have to bring the church to them here, uh, or they're not going to get it. They can't be part of a local body because of how much they travel and what they do. And and I felt that growing up, and I, and I had that tension. So you're, it's pulling on you. You're like, wait a minute. Like, what about I want to do my things, but I still want to serve the Lord. Like, so... So I had to go, and I think every young man, uh, certainly the young men on our team that we mentor, I, I watch them go through this. Every young man that grows up in a, in a house of faith, I think, gets to that point when they're maybe 17, 18, 19 years old, where they've got all the information, they've got the religion down, they've figured out how to do church and what to say and when to stand up and sit down and how to do communion, and they, they know how to do it, right? But it's not theirs, and at some point, they got to own it. And I think once parents kind of step back a little bit, let the kids kind of become themselves, then that kid's got a choice what to do with all that information that he has and all that religion that he's been doing for his whole life. And is that going to be something that he carries forward and owns and pursues on his own? Or does it stop right there once he leaves home? And so that was kind of me in my, in my early 20s. I went through about a one- or two-year period where, again, I never, ever would have denied God or who Christ was or what he did for us. That, was, that, that belief was in me. So your, your heart wanted that relationship, right? But your mind is maybe stuck on, that re, on the religion of it. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a tug-of-war. It's a, it's, a, it's a battle between the heart and the mind. And I struggled with lust and... And, you know, other things. So, you know, I constantly lived in guilt and shame. I didn't understand forgiveness. I didn't understand grace. Those are the biggest things, right, for the listeners right now. I mean, that's what, you know, if, if you've got some of my story, which most listeners have, if not, episode one is, is my story. Um, you know, I, I didn't recognize those things either. Like, I didn't know that I deserved this. But being an addict, being alcohol, being addicted to pornography, like those things that I went through, like, I don't deserve the grace that he's given me, but here we are. So like, let's go. So for the listeners that are hearing this right now, like whether you grew up without church, like I did or without relationship or religion, or like Chris did with religion, but you're struggling, like, like the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness, it's, those are all gifts that are right there for you just by having a relationship with, with the one true King. So, yeah. So tell us more. So you're getting into college you're maybe skipping a little bit of, of, you know, you're, you're pulling away from the religion a little bit. So tell me more. So then you get married. So, yeah, so I go to college and I find a girlfriend and we move in together and then, you know, we're going to church, but we're also living together. And so I'm de- dealing with that guilt and shame. Cause I know I'm, I'm doing it the, in the wrong order. You know, that's not good. God's design for us is to find a mate 
to stick to stick with them forever and and to get married and become one and all that Genesis one stuff, one and two stuff. And so, um, you know, I struggled through that. Then we got married, uh, had a couple of kids, um, did the career thing and, um, you know, I went to church and just kind of were on coast and autopilot the whole time I'm dealing with lust and, and secret sin and, and guilt and shame and that kind of stuff. So I want to grab something out of that for a minute too, because it, it's a, you know, my wife and I did it completely backward too. Um, you know, we were dating, we were living together, we had a child together and then we found God and, and got married. Actually, she was pregnant while we were really starting our walk. But, you know, once again, for the listeners out there, like, don't ever put God in a box of what he can or can't do. Like, yes, I mean, he, he wrote it a certain way. And trust me, like, we we took a, a, a vow of celibacy. We prayed for God to restore our virginity. Um, and, and he did. And, and our wedding night was amazing. But... I wouldn't encourage people to do it this way. It's hard, man. Once you've gone down that road, it's real hard to go backwards. It is. And and I wouldn't encourage people to do it the wrong way. I would encourage you to save yourself for marriage for any of our longer, younger le- listeners. You know, God made sex. God made all of that absolutely amazing. And he has one specific woman picked out for you already. And if you're younger or maybe you're a parent that's listening, start praying for your children's spouse. Man, I started praying for my kid's spouse. I, I have two girls. Two daughters there, 25 and 27. I literally started praying for their spouse and their salvation when they were about two. Every single night, I'd put them to bed, I'd tickle them a little bit, and then put them into bed, tell them how much I loved them and how beautiful they were and how God made them just the way they are. And then, and when we pray for their salvation, and I'd pray for their spouse. And they used to giggle and go, Daddy, I'm never getting married. I'm like, no, you're going to get married one day. And we're praying for him right now that... He's going to be born in the next, you know, few years so that, uh, you know, he's not 50 years older than you or anything or 20 years younger. But, you know, we're praying for him now. That, and maybe he's not born yet. We have no idea. But we're praying for him now that God would raise him up and, and, and that he would raise up just the right man for you and bring him into your life just at the right time and that, and that he would bless your marriage. And, you know, I, we, uh, we spend a lot of time at our team, Next Level Racing, uh, mentoring these guys and teaching them spiritual truths and, and going through the Bible. And, and that's why we're really here. We're not, I mean, we're here for the racing. Yes. And that's what they're here for, but I'm more here to make an impact on their life. And, and one of the things I always tell them is, is that God is for you. He's not against you. And the Bible is kind of like your owner's manual on your bike. If the owner's manual says to put a certain kind of oil in the bike or a certain kind of fuel or a certain amount of air pressure in the tires, you're not going to look at that owner's manual and go, ah, whatever. That guy's an idiot. I know better than that. You don't do that. You follow the rules. You put oil in your bike. You don't put cooking spray in it. You put air in your tires. You don't put water in them. You put good gasoline or race fuel in your bike. You don't put the junkiest, cheapest stuff you can find at the store or E85 or kerosene or something. You follow that rule book because you trust that the engineer that designed that motorcycle knows what's best for that motorcycle. It's the same with the God who created us. And he gave us that manual, the Bible, an owner's manual for life, and it's full of examples and instructions. And so when he says, hey, it's, it's better if you find one wife and if you try to wait to sleep with her until after you're married and then you stay with her for the rest of your life and have children and all that, that's the way he designed it to work. Can you, can you do it a different way? Sure. Will it work out? Who knows? It might work out wonderfully 
or it might not work out so well. Um, I mentioned that, that I went through a divorce that I didn't want and couldn't stop. Um, part of that is my fault. I married a, a woman that was not a believer and she had the information and I thought she was a believer, but I didn't take the time to find out where she really was spiritually. And so when things started getting tough and life started getting tough, um, and I started to dig in and go, wait, I know the answer to this. It's in the Bible and you know, we need some help and we get some, can get some counseling and work through this. She was like, uh, actually, I don't really actually believe all that stuff. I've just been kind of playing along. And so I was like, whoa, wow. So I didn't do it the way God designed it to be done. And, and maybe didn't, you know, in those early years, if, if somebody's going through a similar thing, like could there have been maybe a little bit more prayer and a little bit of conversation with God for him to truly reveal if this is, you know, but, but we get caught in our own human needs, right? Our way instead of his way. And you're like, man, comes a little, little gust of wind for the listeners here. We just got uh, pelted with a little bit of dirt. <laughs> We're getting sandblasted in here. It's, uh, you know, fun stuff out in the elements doing podcasting. So, um, but yeah, the, uh, but God is so good. And he's so gracious, and we're idiots most of the time. But he lets us start over again every single day. So I would say, and I do say to the people that are caught up in things that maybe don't honor and glorify God, and you're not doing it the way the owner's manual says to, just just try to change one thing. Just grab one thing that you're that you're doing that's not honoring and glorifying God, and go. You know what? I'm going to put that aside, and try to do it God's way, and just give him a chance to show up in your life, let you experience grace and forgiveness and mercy and let you experience his power to move past that one thing and then tackle another one. And it's a lifetime sanctification. It's a life. That's a huge word, but it's a lifetime thing. We never get there. Yep. I love that word though. Cause, and I, I always say that, uh, what is, wait, we better define it. What is it for the people who don't know? I don't know if I can honestly put a definition on it right now, but I, I like to say it's the process of sanctification, right? It's, it's a, it's a workout of our salvation, right? We're, we're working towards it, but we are not sanctified because we're human. That's right. I like to say it's the, uh, we're justified when we accept Christ into our life. We're now made right with God and we're sanctified progressively from the time we, we enter into that relationship with God, what we call salvation. We start sanctif- that sanctifying process, which is a refining process that starts there and continues towards the day we die or God takes us home. But we never really get there until he takes us home and then we're made perfect. But it's that process of becoming more like Jesus. That's the way I like to look at it. It's a process of becoming more like Jesus. It's a process. You don't get, it's a journey. It's not a, it's not a destination. Exactly. Yeah. We're just going to keep walking out. We got to start somewhere. Yeah. So, so any of those people stuck in that. So yeah, once again, you may know somebody that's listening, you're listening to this, somebody needs to hear it, share this episode. This might make a difference. Um, so yeah, so maybe you didn't spend enough time in prayer asking God if that's what he really wanted. Um, when uh, push came to shove and it, and, and all marriages are going to have these moments, life is going to have these moments. Um, yeah, you didn't know where to turn, right? So another cue into this is is key in all relationships for anybody out there is putting God first. It's not about my wife. It's not about me. It's about God. And, and when he's at the center and he's first in our lives and our marriage is definitely far better. Um, yeah, so that starts to go south. How old are you when that happens? Oh, uh, man, I think I must have been in my mid-30s. 
Yeah, I was mid-30s, and that went south. I couldn't save it or stop it, unfortunately. Um, it just she wasn't interested. Uh, there was somebody else involved, and so um, she felt like she wanted to to try try something else out. Um, so it, um, I was devastated by it. Never, ever dreamed that would happen. And then when it did, never really thought that uh, we wouldn't be able to work it out or, or reconcile it. Um, so actually, um, that kind of started a pretty bad downhill spiral for me. I mean, I went nuts like an 18-year-old in a you know, candy shop or something. Um, and just unfortunately, you know, my decisions for the next year or two, as God started to really work on my heart and sanctify me and, and refine me, it was, you know, I went down this ugly path of just one woman after another, after another, after another. And, and that was so empty, so empty, um, that, that eventually when that, when that short process was over and I'd really grown a lot in my faith and, and the Holy Spirit really started to get a hold of me, I kind of, you know, I had to at one time kind of sit back and write some emails and some letters and make some phone calls to some girls and go, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry. I took I took from you what didn't belong to me. It belongs to your future husband, uh, and so I'm sorry for that. I need you to forgive me, and I, I had to get, kind of go through that process. And what's crazy is that, like, once again, that forgiveness piece is the the wind kicks up again here, listeners. We're uh, getting pelt, pelted again by the wind. So, good old uh, Colorado spring weather right now. Um, yeah, that forgiveness piece is huge, right? And like a lot of times, we can get stuck in unforgiveness, and we don't realize that. You know, yes, we've sinned and we're sinners, and Jesus died for those sins, um, and God already forgave us. So, who, yeah, and who are we to not forgive ourselves? Are we saying that we're greater than God? Yeah, like, yeah, to not forgive someone else. And we talk about forgiveness a lot, I feel. It's always on the forefront um, with the checkered pasts that, that we come across. But, yeah, I mean, forgiveness, you know, maybe somebody else has wronged you. Um, you know, I'm sure you had to forgive your ex-wife. Oh, absolutely. It took years. I, I held on to that for a while, and I just I had to let that go. And, and one day somebody told me unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and expecting them to get sick from it. It's a, it's a poison that's in you, eating you, and they don't care. Like, they've moved on. They're doing their thing. It's not bothering them at all. You're back here living in, man, I can't believe this, and this, you know, this is really happening, and I'm mad at them, and I want to harm them, and all that, and yeah, it's, that was tough. That was a tough process, but it was definitely a process. It wasn't an event. It was a process, and in my case, um, my ex-wife never apologized or asked for forgiveness, so it wasn't like, you know, I was sitting around waiting for it, going, well, maybe it'll be today. Hey, she's calling. Uh, maybe she's going to say she's sorry and ask for forgiveness. And she never did. And, and that's, that's fine. That's, that's where she was. That's where she was. Um, and maybe where she still is, I don't know. But. Well, so what's funny about that, too, is that that's part of that forgiveness thing, right? Like, when we truly forgive, we are saying that we recognize that they don't owe us anything. It's getting a little worse out here. <laughs> yeah, I think for me it was the process of getting to a point where I didn't, want to harm her and, and and i'm not saying i wanted to not like not physically harm her nothing like that but you know for a point like i wanted something bad to happen to her or wanted her to experience pain and suffering like i did and i had to get to a point where instead of like wanting something bad to happen or for her to experience pain or suffering like i did 
I wanted her to know Jesus. And I started praying for and not, you know, no longer praying that God would reconcile our marriage because she was, she got married. And, and so that was off the table, but started, I started to pray for her soul and her and her husband's soul. And I still do. And, and I don't know where they are spiritually, but I still, I still pray for their soul. I still pray that at some point they would, they would make that decision to say yes to, to Jesus and, and follow him and live their life for him the rest of their lives. Yeah, and that's and that's awesome. So that that forgiveness piece, though, right? Like when we harbor unforgiveness, like that's us saying that that person still owes us something. Yeah. They owe us an apology. They, they, we deserve for them to straighten it out. We we make it about me, yes. me, me, me. And when you truly have a relationship with Jesus and you you give your heart to the Lord, you die to yourself, right? The Apostle Paul talks about that a lot in all those different books. Um, and that's that's what forgiveness is about. Is dying to self. Realize nobody owes me anything. I'm good. I have what I need in Jesus, and I can let them go. I forgive them because God did too. Um, and I think that's vital. Yeah. And and why? You know, I also had to get to a point where um, I had to admit to myself that I'm a sinner, and and God forgave me. So why can't I forgive somebody else? And then, like just like you said, I had to I had to admit that. Oh, it's my selfish, selfishness and my pride that's keeping me for, from forgiving somebody else. So I had to humble myself, and yeah, it was about me. I had to humble myself and go, okay, this is not about me. This is about, I need to extend that forgiveness. And I didn't call and say, hey, just want to let you know I forgive you. I just changed my mindset, my behavior. I let it go, and I just, you know, started telling myself, hey, she's doing the best for she can with where she's at. Where she's at spiritually, where she's in life. She didn't mean to hurt me or anybody else. She's made some bad mistakes. And, and so she's, she's doing the best she can with where she is and, and, the, and the cards that she was dealt. And so I need to extend that grace and forgiveness to her just like God's forgiven to me. Yeah, absolutely. So I take it, because I know this as we're coming along in this story, God obviously flips you upside down and, and flips the script on you. So let's let's get to that. <laughs> so uh, prior to me, uh, prior to me going through that event, um, I in college I got a mechanical engineering degree. I um, learned how to design HVAC systems for high-rise office buildings, and my career um, was selling air conditioning systems for high-rise office buildings all over the world. I got to work on ten or six of the ten tallest buildings in the world. Uh, some amazing projects worldwide. And prior to um, uh, my first marriage ending, I was working about ninety hours a week, flying about a million miles a year, making a million or two a year. Uh, I was on top of the world, man. Had everything I needed, everything I wanted, but I was dead spiritually, and my marriage was dead. I wasn't spending time at home. I wasn't spending time with my wife. I barely remember the first two years of my kids' lives because I was gone all the time. And so when, when God allowed me to go through, um, really faced consequences of my own bad decisions, it wasn't punishment. He just allowed my bad decisions to catch up with me and, and my decision to chase money and power and and stuff more than I chased him. He just kind of took his hands off my life, I think. And, and I was still blessed financially, but 
but he allowed my bad decisions to catch up with me. And then when they did, he, he flipped me upside down. And man, on the other side of that, as I laid there, I think I remember one night laying on the ground going, you know, God, I need you. Can't do this on my own anymore. I've screwed up my life royal, royally. Um, this is going to hurt my kids. Um, it's going to change everything. And I remember laying there going, I need your help. I want to do this your way, whatever you want. And literally the first thing that came to my mind is, I want you. I don't want your money. I want you. And so stop chasing money. Stop chasing all this fame and all this position and power and all the stuff and start chasing me. And he took me on a road uh, that gra- it wasn't immediate, but it gradually started to happen where I started to lose interest in, in working so much and making money. Uh, I downsized my company. It was perfect timing because it was about 2004 to 2008 in that kind of economic crash uh, that we went through. All the business I was doing kind of dried up. And I had nothing to do uh, for a couple of years. I had a pocket full of money and nothing to do. And God said, I want you to spend your money and your time on other people, not yourself. So I think uh, I did a mission trip. And then the next year I did two. And the next year I did five or six. And then I started really heavily getting involved in missions. And and not just going on trips, but but funding church projects in, in Belize and Costa Rica and uh, some um, Central American countries. And I started uh, spending a lot of time and a lot of resources uh, doing ministry. And then I uh, started volunteering uh, at the local church I was going to in, in Fort Worth to um, like teach eighth graders, you know, do like a, a Bible study with eighth, eighth graders. And so I got involved in some youth stuff. And then that uh, kind of morphed into doing college ministry with college students at TCU in Fort Worth. Um, didn't look for that, wasn't trying to find it. We literally got drug into it. My wife and I were on a mission trip in Belize, uh, working with some pastors and a group from uh, a church in Fort Worth at, uh, that did ministry with college students at TCU came down and we worked together with them for the week. And immediately so many of those young men and young women bonded with us and I think because we were just, my wife and I were just um, really honest and transparent about our stories. Um, my second wife, who I'm married to now, uh, is an amazing woman, but she has got an amazing story of how she came to know the Lord and how many mistakes she went through to get there and, and all that. And so, and we're very transparent about who we are and who we were and how God's changed us, and we don't try to hide that. So we were just open, honest, and transparent with, with college students and young people and we bonded with them. By the end of that trip, the college pastor said, you guys got to move to Fort Worth and help us with the college ministry. And he kept kind of badgering us and pursuing us for about a year. And we finally said, okay. And we jumped in to full-time college ministry on a volunteer basis. But we kind of got rid of our business dealings that we were doing, most of them, and started living off a of rental income that we had uh, from real estate investments that we had done. And just started doing full-time college ministry and pouring ourselves into that. And so that was about a 10-year process. And, um, and then that's kind of how, how, what brought us here to the racing is God just started to put on my heart that these young men at the races, I mean, yes, we have a chaplain at the races, uh, Jake Veneta, uh, awesome, awesome dude, loves Jesus. 
but he can't he can't be everywhere all the time. And and he does a great chapel service at the races for us, and he tries to mentor as many guys as he can, and and but he can't get everybody. So we just saw a need. At, we were coming to races, and God was just showing us that man, there's a need at the races. And, and, and so we worked with another team for a couple of years and kind of just mentoring their guys and a, a few other privateers. And then just this past year, um, God just made it obvious that we needed to kind of step away from college ministry in Fort Worth, go full-time uh, mentoring young men in Supercross and, and their wives or girlfriends. And, and we jumped in, jumped in. And that's, and that's how we ran into each other here. Yeah. I get to meet for the first time. This is our first Supercross we've ever been at, uh, you know, other, on, a, on a national level. So, man, so good to, to be here and, and get you. There was one point in the story there you talked about when uh, you're doing the HVAC stuff and you're chasing after the world, you're chasing after the dollar, and the Bible tells us that we can't worship both, right? right. Uh, you got to choose one or the other. And he spoke to you in that. The one thing I want to clarify with that is that, so that came after your divorce? Uh, that he chased me to kind of give that up. Yeah. Yeah. That would, so you were remarried to your current wife at that point. No, uh, I was single at that point when he kind of, I was single when I started, uh, going in that direction, doing a lot of mission work, working with, uh, young people, working with, with, um, um, middle school and high school kids. And then, uh, in that process, uh, I got remarried. I was single for about, uh, almost five years. Met my wife at church. Uh, she said hi. Uh, she was. Uh, she tells the story differently than I do, but um, I like my version better. She walked by. She said hi because she thought she recognized me uh, from somewhere. But she said hi. I looked over at her, and what immediately went through my head was, she's smoking hot. Holy cow, she's smoking hot. She's at church, and she said hi. I was like, I'm obligated to talk to her. I have to talk to this woman. I have to at least follow her and see where she goes and say, why'd you say hi? Do you think you know me or whatever? And turns out, uh, long story short, we knew each other from the gym. Uh, I went out, I went to work out every day with a trainer and I had a, a guy that worked out with me that was a mentor of mine, uh, loved Jesus, stepped into my life uh, after I got divorced and, and, and walked with me for a few years through some rough stuff and and he, we would go to the gym together and he would say, Hey man, do you see that girl over there? Do you see that girl over there? And I'd be like, Randy, stop, bro. I've already like literally stopped with all the girls at the gym. I'm not interested in finding a gym girl. They're too much into the vanity and all that stuff. I'm not going to find a girl that loves Jesus at the gym. And he just laughed and goes, you never know, man. God, God puts girls at the gym. And I'd be like, bro, can we just work out? I just, and, t- and he was constantly teasing me like, Hey, did you see that one? Did you see that one? And he had this girl he called Barbie. And be like, hey, Barbie's at the gym today. And he, because she was real thin and small and she weighed about 90 pounds and real fit and everything. And I'd, you know, glance over and I go, oh, bro, stop. He's like, look, man, she's on that butt machine. You know, you need to check her out. And I'm like, no, stop, man. I'm just, I just want to be, I just want to work out and then go to work. And uh, so turns out the girl that says hi to me at the, at church is now my wife, but that she was Barbie at the gym. She was Barbie at the gym, and so the next, after I met her that Sunday at church, I had to go work out Monday morning with Randy, and I had to tell him that I was like, hey, you never believe what happened, and he's like, tell me, tell me. I said, I met a girl. She said hi to me. She was at church. He's like, sweet, amazing. Tell me about her. 
He said, it's Barbie from the gym. He's like, see, I told you, man. There's, there's women that love Jesus at the gym. You can't put all those out. And I was like, all right, you're right, you're right. So, yeah, started. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, pretty much when she, and she had just gotten out of a nasty relationship. She uh, wasn't ready to date or that wasn't even on her radar. So I kind of stalked her at the gym for a few weeks and made sure I was there when she was there and say hi to her and kind of corner and talk to her a little bit, you know, and do that whole thing. Um, she was single. She, I don't needed help with fixing a car one day or something. I was like, well, here, give me your phone. I'll put my number in. And if you need something, you know, I'll help you out, whatever. And then I called myself. So then I had her number and then I texted her a couple days later. I was like, Hey, you want to get breakfast? And she's like, well, I'm going out for breakfast anyway. After I work out, I guess she could join me. And so we go to Starbucks and we're in line at Starbucks and she's like, Hey, I don't know what you're about, but I'm not, I'm not into a relationship. I'm not like looking for anything. I was like, Hey, we're just talking. We're just talking. I'm just, you know, who knows? We're just talking. You said hi at church. We're just talking. So, uh, quickly talking led into, um, um, us really getting to know each other on a, on a deeper level, spiritually and emotionally. And, um, Man, we did good on the physical stuff for a long time, and then we failed, and then we had to do the same thing you mentioned with your wife. We had to go through that. Okay, we, we failed, but, but that doesn't have to stop here. Uh, we, can, we can stop right now, and we can save ourselves till the day we get married. married. And um, So we, uh, since we'd both been married before, we uh, dated for a year, got engaged, and got married like six weeks later. Like, there's no point in waiting. We've already been married. We've already been down all those roads. We're just going to drown ourselves in, in um, you know, guilt and shame if we extend a, an engagement. And so we know we want to be married. Let's just get married quick. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we, uh, we've been married 13 years now. Um, she was never able to have any children. So, um uh, our girl, so she, you know, came into my girl's lives when they were, I think eight, eight or nine years old, something like that. Um, and they love her and, and she's been an amazing, uh, mentor in their lives. Uh, we'd like to say that she, the girls have a, a physical mom that they love and, and her mom's awesome and they have a wonderful relationship and her mom's a great woman. But, uh, my wife Rhonda is their spiritual mom. And, and she's been really responsible for the for their spiritual growth, I think, which is so cool. Yeah, that's so so awesome. I I love just the stories of how we get from A to B, like how how we can we can be wayward, we can go, but God pulls it back together. So it's just such a blessing to have you here, man. So I like to do as we get uh, further in. I like to um, ask if there's there's one thing, like if you want the listeners to grab one thing about Jesus or about life. What's one thing you want to leave with the listeners today? Man. I think it's so much simpler than we make it. I think God, the God of the universe that created us and knows us intimately, knows the number of hairs on our head or on our beard or under our arms or whatever it is. He knows us and loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. And it's a it's, it's, he, he's not going to chase us down and hunt us down, but he is going to keep asking and gently knocking and going, Hey, I, I love you. Will you, will you talk to me? I, I got a plan for you. And, um, I want to, I want to do life with you. I want, 
I want to help you. So I, I would say the biggest thing that, yeah, that, that I want to impart to the guys that I'm able to spend time with and disciple and mentor on our team next level racing is I want them to know, you know, at the end of the season, if nothing else, I want them to know that God loves them so much and that it's not, it's not a feeling that he loves them. It was an action. He loved them so much that he sent his son Jesus to, to take the punishment and the penalty for their sin upon himself and be able to look at him and go, it's okay, bro. I already took it. Just, just walk with me. Just, just let's do life together. And so that, there's lots of other things, and the Bible is full of richness and, and grace and mercy and forgiveness and instruction and history and so many cool things. But at the end of the day, Jesus was there in the beginning. He wasn't, and that's John 1, um, Colossians 1.17. He wasn't, he wasn't plan B. He was there in the beginning. And everything was created by him and through him and for him. And nothing was made or created without him. So Jesus was there in the beginning. The plan that, that God was going to create man, man was going to rebel against God and run away, and God was going to provide a way for man to be, be united with him again through Jesus. That was the plan from the beginning. It wasn't a, oops, what did we do? Man turned, on our, turned their back on us, you know? So, yeah, the, the message is God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And it's that easy. It's, it's easy enough to just have a conversation with them. Yeah. Just say, show me. I don't believe you. Or I don't, I don't believe all this stuff. Or I got questions or doubts or whatever. Prove it to me, man. Show he already me. knows what's in your heart. Yeah, talk to him about it. I love that, man. That's so good. Just ask him. Just ask him to show you the way, and he will. He's so faithful. Man, as we uh, before we get completely blown away here, the tents are coming down around us. The wind is picking up. It's going to be a glorious spring afternoon in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Chris, it's been such an honor to have you here, man. Just uh, so great to hear the story of what God's done in your life. Um, would you like to close us in prayer? I would. I would. Uh, before I do that, I'd like to ask for um, for you and obviously our listeners to pray for our team. Uh, we got some awesome young men. Um, we got some young men that love Jesus. And we got some guys that are kind of kicking tires, and we got some guys that are not yet interested, and that's so awesome. And uh, so pray for our team, Next Level Racing. Uh, we're not here to win; we're here to next to get guys, uh, help them get to the next level spiritually, and in their racing, and in relationships, and life in general. And um, and so pray for our team as we travel the country, um, and, uh, and and pray for these guys' safety. But more than anything, pray that God would would present himself to them that he'd reveal himself to those guys and that they would uh grow in their faith or ultimately make that decision to follow jesus yeah no absolutely and guys listeners again like share this story pray for those writers you know push this if this reached your heart don't hesitate to send it to somebody maybe maybe you know somebody that's just kicking tires right now and uh, chris's story can help kick them over the edge you mind if i plug no go right ahead absolutely Follow us. Uh, we're on Instagram at Team Next Level Racing. Uh, we do weekly updates, um, share stories, share behind-the-scenes stuff. Our riders uh, right now are Freddie Norton, Kevin Morans, Devin Raper, Kyle Greeson, John Short, and Ty Freehill. Uh, so pray for those guys in name and, and follow and like them. And, um, yeah, just pray for our team, Team Next Level Racing. Follow us. Uh, Reach out to us. We'd love to meet you at the races if you come by or, or whatever.
Awesome. Let me pray for us, Nick. Thank you. God, thank you for Nick. Thank you for the work that he's doing. Thank you for the love that you've put on his heart for uh, young men and women in action sports. Uh, God, I hope we get to see much, much more of him. This is so cool. Uh, God, thank you for this weekend. Uh, I want to ask a special blessing on all of the young men and women uh, here at the races, that you would um, reveal yourself to them, that you would uh, keep the riders safe, give them speed, uh, help them, them to know that you love them that you're for them and not against them, and uh, that you would give all of us uh, just peace uh, and grace as we do our jobs and race and do the things that you designed us to do and allowed us to do here. In uh, Jesus' name, we ask it, and thank you so much uh, for all you've done for us. Amen. Amen. Awesome listeners, thank you so much. Excited to catch you next week on the next episode of Faith in the Fast Life. God bless. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Yeah.